the New York City Jazz Fest. Mm-hmm. It was one gig on the books, and um, I had just you lost your return ticket with, with my music director, yeah. and um, who was in Austin where I was living, and and I called uh, the bass player that I'd hired for the gig. Um, and I said, um, I'm really scared. I don't have an MD anymore. And I essentially don't have a band. Like, you're it. And he was like, well, if you come up here, I'll put together a band with you. I'll, like, get a bunch of guys and you can audition them. And, mm-hmm. and once I came up to New York, and I was having a really fabulous just kind of vacation slash audition thing, my friend, the bass player, was like, it would be a lot easier if you lived here. So... I didn't think twice about it. I went home and packed a suitcase, and I came back a week later, in fact. So you were coming from Austin, so, you know, in terms of, like, places to put bands together, that's a seems like a pretty good one, right? I mean, there's In more, Austin? Yeah. Aren't there more musicians than just any other kind of person? Well, you would think, but the type of music that I was playing was really particular, and it requires a pretty um, in-depth background of jazz. And Austin has a jazz scene, mm-hmm. but I was quite familiar with it. And the people that I had played with um, uh, were either not the ones that I wanted to to do the show with or weren't available. So I was I was left to my own devices. So New York just ended up being an, an easier place to do that for you? It wasn't just easier. I'd always intended to come up. So all I needed was a reason. Yeah. And that was fine enough. I just I thought, great, that's my reason. Here I come. How much does it impact your sort of day-to-day life when it comes to music making? New York? Yeah, being here versus there. I don't know if it's so much my day-to-day life, but but there's a... The, the music that I'm always referencing, mm-hmm. which is uh, essentially the Great American Songbook, um, was born here, and it's rooted here. And so it's... Within the culture, it's inherent. Everyone recognizes the Great American Songbook. Mm-hmm. Everybody's familiar with it. Um, and in Texas, it's not the same. I mean... They've got their own music tradition, there's, obviously. Yeah, there's yeah. a different kind of music tradition. And I wouldn't say necessarily a younger one, but it's a, it's a different one. And it and so it everything that I was referencing was appreciated, if you will. But, it like, no one really knew... Mm much about it and so just to be here and relate to a lot of people that understand what i'm doing is a is a luxury it's a privilege you don't think that like um like a gershwin or like a cole porter or something is is to some degree in america just sort of universally recognized or understood i do but it's not celebrated in the way that it is up here it just isn't is there still that sort of connection? I mean, it's, you know, it's like, it's just a sort of like such a romanticized version of New York, obviously, but the, the city just changes so much, you know, year to year. Um, is there still a connection with the city and, and that music? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I think it would be a surprise if suddenly New York just one day, like, disappeared. The The feeling that we would experience, like the the hole that we might find in this area of the of the music i think it would be palpable how much did it sort of inform your experiences with the city when you first moved here i mean it, it, again it's just as such as like, like romanticized it version was. i just walked around the streets day <laughs> after day 
dreaming about music or listening yeah. to the music and looking at the buildings and I mean I just I spent so much time alone actually in this honeymoon period with New York and I never felt alone I felt madly in love it was glorious it's a good place to have started here when you already had some momentum in your career right so you mm-hmm. you were able to sort of experience all of the the great things about the city and the culture without that you know although you know maybe to some degree you know scrapping around a bit but it's nice to have like already have this established group of people once you actually moved to the city yeah absolutely it was a boon to have um such a strong contact in in this bass player who knew so many wonderful musicians and i was able to begin working from there um it saved me a lot of time for sure I did most of my scrapping in Austin, Texas. Yeah. So how long does it take for this sort of the, the honeymoon to, you know, wear off? Or do, are you still feeling some of that? Oh, it lingers, but it's over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a New Yorker now. That's and so interesting that, like, be, being a New Yorker, like, one of the defining qualities of being a New Yorker is that that sort of romanticization has kind of worn off to some degree. You get to take it for granted now yeah. as a New Yorker? Yeah, You get sure. to complain about everything all the time. That's, right. That's, a, that's being a real New Yorker. That's camaraderie among yeah. your New Yorkers. I mean, we're all going through it, logging it out in the subway and the traffic or what have you. Everything is unique here. Living is unique mm-hmm. here. But I, I, I do love it. You referenced that sort of that sense of, like, doing everything alone as a positive but that is that is sort of an aspect to being in the city right it's just like being in a place where there's eight million people and still kind of feeling this sense of like this this strange sense of loneliness as you're going through it mm-hmm. yeah I, I i can't emphasize enough how lonely i didn't feel though yeah. it just it like it was probably the the most the longest period of time that i spent by my myself. Mm. I mean, I would get together with people occasionally, but I would just I, my memory of this golden period was like just a lot of time alone in in uh, like contemplating and almost a meditative state, mm. glorious like presence with this city, and it, and it felt wonderful. I felt a part of everything and everyone here. It was. I mean, it was a really, it was like a visitor's point of view. It was a tourist yeah. point of view. And that's, it's often the best point of view because then you're not projecting anything and you don't have an agenda. It was just like everything that I was discovering was new and wonderful. Even the awful things, the smells <laughs> and the weird piles of trash and things like that were, were still so different to me and, and novel. How much did it inform your work as a songwriter in the early days? It, a lot. I was giddy and um, kind of drunk on the city, so I my work reflected that. I wrote Champagne here, which was about being hungover from a night mm-hmm. of celebrating and drinking champagne. And there's an air of sophistication with the city too that yeah. you can indulge in, and and I did. It, it it started showing up in my work really quickly. Are your audiences? Do they tend to be toward the older side? Yeah, I'm. I'm finding more and more young people lately, and it's really surprising too because there's actually like a a palpable turn when I put out my last record, yeah. "Old Fashioned Gal." I mean, come Ironic. on, I, I wrote this yeah. song. It's called "I'm an Old Fashioned Gal." If if I were doing like a caricature of 
of like who who would sing this song. I was picturing like an old lady. Yeah. And meanwhile, I started seeing on Instagram like young people, young boys even like making their own old-fashioned gal videos and like teenagers singing along and doing their own versions. And I was really surprised that this spoke to the, a generation that didn't even know what life was like without like the digital world and social media, which is what the song is about. It's saying like, oh, just let's play records and, yeah. like, you know, and sit across from each other and like, let's get rid of the screens for a minute. I'm an old fashioned gal. Um, it's, it's, it's cuter than that, but <laughs> um, that's what it's about. So, um, so I'm seeing more young people now, but uh, it's, it's, it's surprising to me. Do you have a sense of what happened on the last record? Well, I was just unabashedly myself. Honestly, I wrote, um, I wrote it thinking like I'm. I don't think anyone is going to like this, and I don't give a damn. And there's always something about that in yeah. life when you just and you're like I. I suddenly don't care about this, and there's a magnetic quality that I don't yeah. know. It's an energetic thing. I, I. I don't know what it is. What happened in your own life that you suddenly didn't give a damn what people thought? I wasn't working with a major label anymore, mm. and. Um, so I felt like slightly I felt I felt simultaneously felt free and t- terrified, frightened, <laughs> free falling. Yeah, and um so I was like, you know, screw it. You were on Sony before? Yeah, Sony Masterworks. It wasn't a good situation for you? Yeah, they actually they they were they were hiring and firing a lot of people mm. and so it was just sort of like broader record label, yeah. record industry things. Yeah. It's like the fun, fun things that one gets to experience when, yeah. when they're part of a, a big company like that. I have to imagine, though, that they probably, you know, and this, is, this, isn't, this isn't something you should have to think about, but you kind of do, especially, you know, in 2020, um, that maybe they had trouble marketing you know, your music and maybe they had trouble figuring out like exactly like a major label like Sony had trouble figuring out exactly what to do with it. Did you get a sense of that? Have to be very careful to to talk about this (laughs) (laughs) publicly. Yeah. I think they were having trouble marketing in general. Yeah. I I, I guess I just mean, you know, in the standpoint of like playing again, as you said, this sort of like this music that in, in a lot of ways is, is an homage to, you know, music from decades ago. It, it, I'm sure that there were some issues figuring out, like, exactly who to target with that. Perhaps. And without going into the hows and whys, because sure. it's not, because it's insignificant, it's, it's, is the past. There's, with a big machine like that, um, it, there, there are a lot of limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not so easy to be flexible and creative. And, um, so if if there's suddenly um, a necessity to think outside the box, it may just not happen because um, it's not within the overall company agenda to do so. There, it's, it's more – it behooves, like, such a big company to, like, plug in, like, a formulaic thing that's already working. And if it's, if it's something new, then it's maybe not worth their time or their bottom line or something. Yeah, I mean, I, I suspect that one does not get into, does not start playing this 
kind of music with the expectations that you're going to become, you know, a radio pop star. Yeah, but I never rule it out. <laughs> <laughs> you you auditioned for American Idol, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I was 19, and I had just moved to Austin, in fact. And um, I heard, you know, like Austin was the live music capital of the world. And I thought, great, how do I capitalize on yeah. that? You moved there to become a musician, specifically? No, but that was one of the reasons why I was there. Mm-hmm. I was a little bit at sea. I dropped out of college. Yeah. I was going to school at College of Charleston, South Carolina, and I went back to Texas. I thought, I'll enroll in University of Texas. And then some of my credits didn't transfer, so there was a period of time in which I had to go to a community college to get credits mm-hmm. to, to enroll at UT. And upon enrolling in, in, in community college, I got my books and I was like reluctantly going home. And I heard a song on the radio and it was like a country song and the guy was talking about skipping school to like play music for his friends. And I laughed to myself thinking like, that sounds like me. And then I had this very real moment and I was like, that is me. I really don't want to invest anymore in an education that is not going to serve what I actually know that I'm going to pursue. Mm. And I knew that I was going to pursue it. In that moment, it was like, yes, I'm actually going to do this. So I went home. I called the registrar and told him I was pulling out. I opened the paper. This is aging me now. And I looked for, like, ads for people looking for a singer. Mm. And I started calling. And I found someone. And I started, like, doing these weekly writing sessions and... And it wasn't long and before I had, like, quit my job and I was just being a musician. What were you studying at the time? Just general studies. Okay. I hadn't declared a major. I'd, I mean, you were 19. At Charleston, I was looking into the music school there. Yeah. Um, but it, it didn't really appeal to me. It kind of scared me because I was – I identified so much as a musician and a songwriter and a singer already. And I witnessed other people – in the school, like, being told how to be such things. And I I didn't think I needed anyone's advice or permission. I felt like I knew how I, how to do it. And more or less, I did. I mean, I, I certainly could have benefited from studying music. But I took the route that I knew would, would serve me, and it did. You didn't study singing at, at any point? Have You didn't have voice lessons, anything like that? No, if you will, I, I studied because I listened to records yeah. over and over and over again, and I watched old musicals, and I, I mean, I studied people's performances, and I listened to the way they sang, and I would sing for hours. I would sit in the bathtub and just sing over and over again until I could make the sounds that they I heard mm. them making. I mean, you still had a sense of confidence that you could get up there and and do it. I always did, yeah. I always knew. It's it's just. I, th- I think there's something very important for children when they – I had this ability, and I knew that I could do it, and I didn't ask anyone if I could. And mm-hmm. fortunately, my I, my mom I, – I had a single mom. She never allowed me to think otherwise. She – she took what, if I said I could do something, she took it at face value and said, great, 
I believe you. And so there was never any sort of self-doubt. And I was surprised as when I was older, like when I was in my early 20s and I was starting to write songs and I hadn't published anything yet and I was I was just writing in my bedroom, you know. And I remember someone telling me like I said, "Well, I'm a good songwriter." And and they scolded me almost like like I wasn't allowed to to declare such a thing. Yeah. I wasn't allowed to claim claim that for myself. And they said, "Don't don't you dare say that." Like <laughs> and they went through the list of who the good songwriters sure. were and like, "You can't say that until until you you know you and i and i felt sorry for them because yeah. i thought well that they're just showing me their own hindrance into being able to access whatever we need to access to write this you know it's it's, it's not necessary to to doubt that knowing that one mm. has some people have it about i don't know dancing or running or cooking or this isn't the, the kind of uh, blind self-confidence that you apply to every aspect of your life there are things specifically that you know that you are good at yeah you're not uh, you're not somebody who goes through life telling everybody that you're good at every single thing that no, you try your hand at I mean, was that was there ever a sort of a, a, a moment in there where you doubted whether you had made the right decision or whether it felt like maybe this wasn't a thing that could work out or maybe it was time to think about going back to school or going back to work? It was like semi-recently that I started thinking that because I never anticipated feeling so overwhelmed by the, the music industry. Mm. It's it's a psychological journey. It's not hard to be a musician and it's not hard to work every day and it does take a, a great amount of work to pursue a career in the entertainment industry. But there's so much self-identification in the industry with numbers or fans or, like, sales reports mm-hmm. or what have you um, that it's a, it's a daily task to make sure that that I don't get carried away by any of those things, that my purpose for being here is comes from that same knowing that I had as a, as a child, that this is what I would do. I don't need to know, like, all of the hows and what's and whys, and I don't need permission any more than I didn't when I started. I'm, I'm doing this because, because I, I'm doing it, regardless of the highs and lows. Mm-hmm that I've experienced. So, yes, I did experience a period of self-doubt and it was um it was at the end of my relationship with um this major label and when I was writing my last record and I ended up writing Old Fashioned Gal which was like a cheeky fu kind of to like everything that felt everything difficult. that wasn't the music really. Yeah. yeah. And and but then I also wrote a very uh deep almost grievous song called a voice um, just saying my identity is not in my history and all the best of me is in my dreams and if I had a voice I would sing and and it was like I it was absolutely necessary to write that song it was like I had to process what it was that I was saying I didn't even mean to be saying it there was no forethought in writing yeah. it was like I have to say this and and that was also another song that people gravitated to. Um, 
So go figure. People really like you to be authentic and real with them. <laughs> what does that mean if I had a, a voice I would sing? I honestly, at that point, felt like I, almost in a figurative way, like didn't have a voice. Yeah. Like how I, I somehow I'd been identifying myself was was no longer. It didn't apply to me, and and I didn't. I it was like there was this lump in my throat mm. constantly, almost like I couldn't speak up for myself, or I couldn't. I couldn't own me. And where I was at. Was there a period when you stopped performing, stopped singing? No, but there was a period when I would start to sing and it physically felt painful hmm. and arduous. And I'm coming out of that now. So this was until fairly recently. It's, it's been a long period. It was almost like like maybe it started getting easier like two, two years ago. Mm. But it, it felt like, whew, am I going to be able to do this like singing had always been a cathartic thing to me mm. and now it's suddenly troublesome and it's like a challenge every time um and i'm i'm enjoying myself again i'm yeah. really excited about this tour that i have coming up how did that doubt manifest itself before it manifested itself in you know you writing this record were, were you seriously thinking about sort of taking a a, a break from this no but i i I felt like I have to find some way back into my expression that doesn't mm. feel challenging. Because for me, creating was always a point of relief and release. And suddenly it was frightening and um, and it was loaded. Yeah. Um, and so I actually uh, auditioned for acting school. And I enrolled in, in an acting mm program here in New York and I went to school for three years while I was making a record and and touring um inter intermittently I was I was going back and forth to school like making up classes that I was missing and studying extensively and it was amazing were any of those skills that you learned there have any of them come into play in your music career they have now yeah they, it's, I think it's palpably different in my show yeah I think you can tell that I'm much more there. I'm, I'm planted, and I'm. I feel like I'm more in the moment. I'm. I, mm. I recognize now that there were moments that I was maybe avoiding or missing because I thought they didn't, they weren't relevant to the show. And now I get to play. Like everything is relevant. If if someone coughs or if something strange happens, if a mic goes out or if. If someone makes a mistake, I, I now I love to to use that in the show because it's something that we're all experiencing in the room and and I and I didn't really do that as much before. How do you use a cough? I don't know. We'd have to be in the moment, but I use it. I'll yeah, use whatever just, I yeah, get. Yeah, like how would you know some like accidental audience interaction? How would that feed into what you're doing on stage? Well, I might say something yeah. directly to the person I'm, or I might. Make a joke and reference another thing that we discussed earlier in the show. And I'm always looking for a laugh. The last record, so it's kind of a musical? Is that? Yeah, I mean, once I, I, I wrote it and I, I, with no intention of it being a musical, yeah. it, I was simultaneously watching a lot of old movies as I was writing and most of them musicals. 
in like the 30s and 40s, almost everything was a musical, save mm-hmm. like certain genres like noir or yeah. drama or historical fiction, whatever. But so everyone's singing in the films, and it was it was influencing what I was working on, and and I discovered this storyline <laughs> that I had in my head. I realized that for every song that I had. I had these same characters appearing in my head, singing them, and I was like, "What is this? Am I writing a, a musical?" So I, I actually sat down and outlined a screenplay, um, or a script, if you will, and and there's a whole story, and there's these particular characters, and they, maybe it'll come to something at some yeah. point. I don't know. Were you studying acting at that point? Was, yeah. So I was, was that directly informing that? It had to, to some degree, right? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I was surprised because I wasn't um, studying, like, writing. Yeah. Um, but you were reading a lot of scripts, I was probably. reading, yeah, I was yeah. reading plays. Yeah. I don't want to use the word concept album because, like, you know, obviously, like, it's not, like, you know, prog rock record. But, like, in a way, it sort of is. And and this new record seems to be, to some degree, too. Um, how much of this is, you know, kind of a part of your writing process now or thinking of these sort of larger overarching ideas and building a song cycle around them. I don't know because this is um, the first intentional concept record that I've okay. ever made. So the last one was Accidental. Accidental concept record. This, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah. But, um, but this one is uh, – I, I actually like storyboarded the album before we started recording it. Um, granted, I knew what songs we were going to record you drew the... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I should share that with people. That would be really cool. I, I like, I drew it and then I taped it up on my fireplace mantle yeah. and it hung there for several months. And I just kept looking at it, kind of tweaking it and scratching some things out and drawing new little pictures to illustrate what it was that would, you know, this that would be conveyed in this work. Where did that idea come from? The same place that everything else comes from. Yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm just a facilitator. Are you a visual thinker? It, it's just I've, I've, I don't I, – I can't recall ever hearing somebody talk about doing an album as a storyboard in quite that same way. Honestly, I think this is all leading to the fact that I want to do movies. I, I mm. When I make uh, music videos, I, I kind of approach them like short films mm-hmm. or trailers to movies. Um, and I'm always thinking in terms of that. And the music, I mean, I learned the Great American Songbook essentially through old movies, um, like Hoagy Carmichael singing mm-hmm. in Casablanca, um, Fred Astaire singing these fantastic tunes that were being premiered, like, on the screen. So, it to me, it's all tied together. And in fact, when I learned music, I assumed at my at the age of four and five, like, this is what I have to look forward to. I'm going to be Gene Kelly on the screen singing songs mm-hmm. and dancing and do, doing everything. You know, I knew that he directed the film and I was like, okay, I'm going to be doing it all. Where do I, you know, how do I start? So, uh, you know, I, I, and then I became a musician and I was like, it doesn't quite work that sure. way. It's like not working the way that I thought it would. Nothing ever quite works exactly the way right. somebody I mean, things have worked out pretty well for you Thank and you, you get to be a professional musician, but like even successful people it never quite works out exactly the way it did in their head. But I think consciously and or unconsciously I I'm always like making a movie. Do you have trouble sleeping? 
Only recently. Yeah. And so I started I, – I, I wanted to show that in this in this work. Like this, the album takes place from beginning to end, from bedtime until morning. Mm-hmm. And uh, one senses, hopefully, as they listen through that there's like periods of being asleep mm-hmm. and then there's moments of being like wide awake again and – this, the central song of the album, Too Late to Dream, which I wrote, is is about that moment, that just moment when you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, what am I doing? Yeah. What am I doing with my life? <laughs> <laughs> Those moments are always really surprising, yeah. you know? And then you might even wake up the next morning and be like, what was that? But but they're real, and I feel like it, it's part of our human condition. I mean, it seems that everyone can relate to such a thing, and... Um, and it's almost a metaphor of like those arresting moments that we have in life. So this is a it's it's figuratively about our concepts of dreaming like envisioning the future and and projecting into the future, but it's also about literally like going to bed and and dreaming and waking up. I've had trouble sleeping basically my entire life. Oh. And I thought I'm and so I, sorry. And I thought I thought what you were going to say, and you know maybe this plays into it too, was there are those nights when you're, you know, when when you are having trouble getting to sleep, and you have something to do the next morning, and you wake up in the middle of the night, or maybe haven't gone to sleep, and realize that there's just not enough time left to sleep. Yeah. That it's you know five, four or five, and you have to be up at six, and and that's what too late to dream is also about. I mean, it's literally like. That terrifying feeling that you're like, I have to get, I'm going to have to get up soon. There's no way at this point that there's going to be any restful sleep for me tonight. So the lyrics literally say, um, uh, it's, it's, am I caged by my age? Is it too late to dream? Is there an age when it's too late in one's life to dream? But it also says, when the moon is soon no more to shine, Mm -hmm. but give way to a day that isn't mine. Yeah. And it's, it's talking about what you're talking about that feeling like is it gonna i don't i didn't get my chance do you have a sense why you've you've been having trouble sleeping lately anxiety is is it career stuff i mean from this from the sound of that song it it must be to some degree yeah and i wrote that in the same period in which i wrote a voice and old-fashioned gal for my previous record i actually wrote Mm -hmm. it for the other record and it's the one song no, it's not. It's one of two songs that I held back. But it sounds like it was a song that sort of served as the foundation. For it was the foundation the, for this album. Yeah. It sounds like you've pushed through the sort of the label problems before. And, and because of that, because of this sort of defiance that you had, you've, you've had more success as a result. What's the root of the anxiety here when it comes to the career stuff? That's a good question. Just not knowing what's next? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. There's certain aspects. There's certain things that haven't happened yet in my career that I I feel, I feel confident I'm supposed to mm-hmm. do, and I don't know the hows of them. I don't know how I'm, I'm going to make them happen. Yeah. And I feel a responsibility to myself to make them happen. So I don't want to... 
let myself down. I don't know if that sounds strange. I don't know if you're worried that you like might, might jinx it by talking about it, but I mean, is there anything that you can kind of point to? Any sort of milestones that are that you're looking at that you haven't been able to get to yet? I mean, now I want to I want to be an actress, mm. both on the stage and in movies. Yeah. Um, and I also I just know I'm what I'm capable of. I'm I started tap dancing. A number of years ago, like three or four years mm-hmm. ago. And, um, no, a little bit longer, four or five years ago. And I know that I meant to do bigger things that I've done yet. And so I just don't know how. I don't, I can't see it in my little New York apartment right now where I sit on my couch and, and dream and imagine. I'm, yeah. I'm, it's not clear to me, but, but it never was. So I don't know why I suddenly think, that it's supposed to be clear now. Well, I think what's tough about this in particular is that it's a, in order to really actively pursue it to some degree, you would have to maybe put the music making on the back burner. Maybe. But I'm not sure. Yeah. And not that you can't do both, but, you know, in order to, I think, I, I assume to have sort of success at this one Related but different thing that you really sort of do have to focus on it. Maybe so. There's this inkling I have that it, they, it will feed. They will feed each mm-hmm. other. And even if there's like a a brief stint in which like acting requires more focus, I, they'll ultimately come together. Sure, sure. And and yeah, it's not it's not a bad thing at all. And I mean, if anything. If you do have the ability to do this, and it sounds like you do, not everybody has you know the means to do it, especially in a place like New York where there's like no safety net. But um, maybe maybe you know focusing on one thing for a little while will make the other thing all the more precious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what what are you doing right now to kind of pursue that aspect of things? Uh, I was auditioning mm. um, in the fall. But now I'm really busy. I've yeah. got a 40-city tour coming up. These and, are good problems to have. Right. And I'm about to release um, <laughs> yeah. Dreamers Do. And and there's, so there's all kind of promotion that I'm doing. I'm sitting with people and having interviews. Mm. Oh, sorry for taking up your time. New York is a great place to to put on a one-woman show, you know. Or yeah, That's what I want to do. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head. Wow. That's what I want to do. Um, so it's it's slowly revealing itself to me, the subject matter. I'm kind of like okay. recording my ideas right now. It's not something we've seen from you before? No. It might be familiar. Yeah. But no, I'm really excited. I think I think I have something new to offer. Okay. But that's always the hope, right? Yeah. Is it I'm always I'm always like, This is so new I'm telling my audience and they're like, We knew this about you. Yeah. Well, I mean it is an interesting thing about your career and the music you make is one that sort of stylistically you're dealing in these classic styles uh, these classic genres but also you know your last record or I mean I guess the, the new record is as good of an example as any where you're dabbling in both songwriting and you know these very iconic Disney songs mm-hmm. right um, how do you how do you breathe something new into something somebody has heard a million times? I've always been comfortable in that realm. Um, unless, like, you know, I wouldn't record At Last mm. tomorrow because I can't get past Etta James's version of that song. Yeah. 
Um, so so when it's tied to a specific person who did a definitive version, that's... You would think, but then I recorded What a Wonderful World on yeah, this yeah, record, yeah. and Louis Armstrong is definitively the sure. best. Sure, and you've done, like, Sinatra yeah, songs, and... Yeah. Yeah, but, I, but if I hear a way, then I will do it. I, I, um... I just get these ideas, and I can hear it very clearly, almost like it's a recording playing in my own mm. head, and I and I and I feel blessed because I'm like, okay, I have the way now, and I just have to make it happen. And so, um, I I actually I have so many friends that have asked me to sing "What a Wonderful World" for their wedding. I've sung it time and time again, and I thought I really want to record this song, um, and. Um, my co-producer on this album, Aaron Thurston, said, I think I know how Cat Edmondson would sing What a Wonderful World. I think I know how it would sound. And I didn't even ask him to do it. He just, I, he's, I said, great, take a crack at it. And it sounded so good. What code did he crack? It sounded reminiscent of other things I've done before. Okay. It sounds similar to Lucky. It sound, It's like... Um, I leave a lot of space in my music. If there's any, mm-hmm. if there are, there are things that are signature to me, I, there's a lot of space, and there are very delicate things that, because of so much space, end up making big statements within the framework. And he took that approach here. Yeah. I would almost think, in a way, doing a Cure song would be easier from the standpoint of you know whatever version of it you do is going to be so different than the original. You know, I mean, that's that that's the fear in a cover song to some degree, right? Is that it sounds too much like the iconic version? Yeah. Well, I, in my opinion, you just have to. It has to be different, or it's not really worth. Yeah. I mean, it's fun to go and sing. I don't. I don't. I don't want to say anything defining because, like, watch me just put out a cover one day of somebody else's arrangement of something but we, we all like doing karaoke and we can all do karaoke so but fun. you don't want to do karaoke on your record necessarily right yeah no i really want to i want to bring my 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 thing to it my point of view to the song and if i can't i don't want to share it is it easier or more difficult when when it is a song like just like heaven where it's just so the the, the style is so different than your own that was actually easy because I saw the way. I, let me think of if there's been a song. Uh, nobody knows this song, but uh, but they've heard it before. If, if they've seen Alice in Wonderland, mm. 1951 Disney picture. Sure. It was one that I remember quite well, written by Sammy Vane called In a World of My Own. And I, it's it had a great impact on me as a child. When I mention it to people, they're all like, what song? I've never yeah. heard that but they've seen the movie and they can't rem- they don't know why they can't remember the song but i recorded it and i i was trying to figure out like how to record it and it actually i it took me quite a while to like i knew that that i wanted to do it and that i was going to do it but i i just couldn't figure out like the iteration for mm-hmm. it and um and that's what's challenging but once there's a way yeah no problem at what point in the process on this new record, as you were storyboarding above your fireplace, did these specific existing songs come into the picture? I don't know. I think I started I started the story, and then I started – I had just maybe a smattering of songs. Yeah, I had like four songs. 
and then my original um, Too Late to Dream. And, and then I started looking. I started watching a bunch of old animated pictures. And the album has 13 tracks mm-hmm. and I guess like six interludes or five interludes or something. So, um, so I had like a handful left to go and find and make work within the story. You left the spots and then you could sort of cherry pick. Uh-huh. Um, and it had to, it had to fit in with an existing narrative. Yeah. You. And if it didn't, it was out. Yeah. So, um, I mean, obviously like to some degree there's a little bit of, I would assume reinterpretation of the subject matter on your part, right? I mean, you ever you can never know what the songwriter's intent was and when they were writing it for Peter Pan or something it had a very specific idea but these were things that you felt were definitely in one way or another kind of a kindred spirit to what you were trying to do mm-hmm. but for instance you mentioned Peter Pan um, I recorded second star to the right and I'm 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 certain that what I ended up singing was a, a um, oh, what's the word? A, a detour from yeah. the original intent of the song. Yeah. Um, the song uh, very much serves where the, the storyline and where it is in the record. It's a point of after great frustration and um, wrestling, perhaps uh, with an insomnia, insomnia period. There's a release of tension, and there's great compassion that suddenly comes. And and there's finally like a a relax a relaxing point. Are you sleeping better now? I am, in fact. Do you have any idea why? No. <laughs> <laughs>